Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Bomber here, joined today by Cody Goff, who's a producer and a podcast guru, a podcast expert who's going to be jumping off into some interesting ventures next, which we'll discuss a bit. He produced Discovery's Curiosity Daily podcast over the years, over a thousand episodes, also co-hosted that, and is now about to, to venture forth into the world of science communication and podcasting and many different interesting topics, which we'll be touching on today. Cody, I want to welcome you to Trending in Education. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you for coming up with a more concise intro for me than I could have come up with. We both have been around the block a few times in a good way. And you in particular have been doing a ton of podcast episodes, a ton of science communication. I'm really excited to get some of your takes on where the world of education and science communication and podcasting are going. Before we get to that, the right of initiation for our guests is we ask for your origin story. What got you to this point in your your life? Spin that yarn however you would like. Tell us a story. What got you to this point uh, in your life? Oh, man, there's so many ways to start. You mentioned the term science communicator a couple of times. I consider myself a communicator, mm. but I am very much identified by other people as a science communicator specifically. So I, I think that's probably going to tie into the origin story a bit. Yeah. To preface it, when I was growing up, I was in like an accelerated education program in high school. So all of my friends, super, super smart. One of them aced the ACT, one of them aced the SAT, mm -hmm. and they became doctors and uh, physicists and pharmacists and all this stuff. And they're all super smart and whatever. And I was not a book smart kind of guy. Like I didn't, I just didn't do great in school. I did well, quite well, but I, I just wasn't at their level. Yeah. And I remember thinking, what am I going to go into college to study. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pass board exams or be, become a lawyer or whatever. But I distinctly remember when I was little, I was sick one day, homesick from school, and I put something on the TV and I felt terrible. And something made me laugh. And when it made me laugh, I laughed out loud and I was immediately, I felt better, like physically felt better. And I was like, oh my gosh, that term laughter is the best medicine, like really applies. I was like, this is what I need to do. I'm a funny, personal, bull, social, bull guy. Uh, I like uh, interacting with people. I'm outgoing and extroverted. This is probably the route to go. And, and so I went into radio and TV production in college. So then to fast forward, radio, TV production, had a couple radio jobs, ended up part-time producing at a radio station for 15-ish years, WGN Radio in Chicago. Uh, sure. Very well known around the country, of course. No, I don't know Tom Skilling personally if you're into the Chicago weather scene, but I have spoken with him and he is an extremely nice person. Did a lot of radio and stuff. And, and then on the side, like I, I never really pursued a full-time career in radio because I was on the producer side and I would see people in, that I worked with in the production roles. And they just had, first of all, no job stability, which, okay, right. That's a lot of industries that's across radio. I get that. But the type of job instability was really striking to me. So to give you an example, there would be a producer and his slot was 1 to 3 p.m. I produce the afternoon show. I work with this host. We've got a great relationship. All right, all good. All right, cool. Well, management's always turning over like all the time and they're just replacing hosts all the time. So they say, all right, this 1 to 3 afternoon host, well, we don't want him anymore. We're going to hire a different guy. They put another guy in the slot. It turns out the new guy in the slot hates the afternoon producer and they just don't get along. And maybe... 
that host wants to bring in their own producer. Suddenly that producer is now out of a full-time job just because someone arbitrarily didn't like them. Yeah. And I know that happens a lot of places, right? If your boss doesn't like you, you're getting me out of a job. But th this was like very prominent. So I, just, I don't want to deal with this. I have a part-time role working with one host. I will just do this on the side and it'll be great. And while doing that, I had all these other full-time jobs. I was working on marketing. I was doing social media marketing. And uh, one day it all came together. I was at this global management consulting firm. I was running their global social media. I was flying to London and Madrid, giving trainings on like LinkedIn and stuff. It was super cool. And I got this LinkedIn message out of the blue from a guy that worked at a startup, Curiosity. And he said, hey, we've been thinking about doing a podcast. I just found you on LinkedIn and it looks like you know some stuff about podcasts. Mm. Like, well, yeah, I've been doing radio and podcasts for like a decade, <laughs> at least at that point. I was doing podcasts on my own. I was part of the podcast network, a nerdy podcast network, mm. doing some stuff. And I said, sure, I'll talk to you if you've got questions. And two weeks later, he's offering me a job producing and, and hosting a podcast for curiosity.com, which at the time was like a popular science website. Yeah. So you and there was an app and you'd open it. There's like five news stories a day and you could read about the latest in science technology, but also just like weird oddities from around the world, like strange ceremonies, yeah. like Gloucester cheese wheeling competition where you get in like the social science, uh, which I'm a bit of more of a social science nerd than a science proper nerd. Although you have, a, you have quite a bit of rage there, but that's one thing I did like about curiosity is that it's not just science communication, which you were touching on before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I, that's what attracted me to it too. I, I, and you know, to go back into the like, why am I not a science communicator? I feel like more of a communicator. It's because like I could communicate science, but I, like I didn't have a, a strong hobby passion for that. Like I don't, I wasn't reading Smithsonian Magazine and Popular Science and Live Science and these other websites. That's not how I spent my time. Mm -hmm. If there was a cool study that, that I'd see on Twitter, sure, I'd click on it, but like that was not at all in my sphere. Science fiction was, I was a Star Trek fan. I like good science fiction, but like, yeah, in terms of the science itself, no, not so much. Yeah. But I took the job and I, he'd said, we've got a big audience, we'll, we'll kind of pump you up. And look, you know, in podcasting, like there aren't a lot of opportunities that arise in a right. podcast environment where you're like, oh, there's an actual audience here. Because the hardest part of podcasting is building an audience, even right. if you're a big name, but you, you got to, as a guy that's done strategy consulting and things, I have told people, if you want to have a top podcast, you better already have an audience that mm -hmm. loves you. Mm -hmm. And then you convert some of them into the podcast. That's my, not to discourage anybody. Sure. There's a lot of good reasons to podcast besides having a big audience. To me, the, the most rewarding parts of doing a podcast have nothing to do with the size of the audience. It's about the specific connections you make with people and the yeah. relationships you form. And the art and the craft and just mm -hmm. like the editing and hosting, right? <laughs> yes. You're a bit of a renaissance man. You went, and then Ashley together, I think you had a renaissance. So you were able to become fluent about a wide range of topics. Can you catch folks up a little bit on what Curiosity Daily uh, is and what it was for you over that span of time? Yeah, I'm no longer actively host and producer of the show. I'm moving on to some other projects, but yeah, I... I concepted this weekly podcast that was pretty good. It's kind of your standard interview style show, but I'd bring in Ashley and you know, she was on the writing team. She was really good at what she did and, and has much more of a science background, I guess. Neither of us are official like science trained people or anything, but she is the kind of person who would sit around reading live science and, uh, and looking at the latest in science technology and is on science Twitter and all that other stuff. 
So I pulled her in and I was like, hey, I need a second voice on the show. I need somebody to like boost things up. She was very popular. People loved, they were like, oh, I love when Ashley drops in with these facts. And it's, it's always really interesting. It adds a lot. So we built from there. And after a while, after about a year, we were like, maybe this should be a shorter form show released more regularly. And at the time, there were really no daily science podcasts. Yeah. NPR now has one shortwave, but they came a couple of years after we did. And their initial pitch for that show was eerily similar to Curiosity Daily. I was actually mm. uh, a little miffed when I saw the job description for uh, shortwave's host pop up because I was like, literally word for word, some of this is mm. the description of my podcast. I was like, that's, that's a little too close to home. Like, I don't own it. I, don't, I didn't invent the idea of a daily science podcast, but if you're going to make another one that's that similar, like yeah. maybe just use the word curiosity a few less times. <laughs> so whatever. So now they're around, but at the time there was nothing like it. And uh, strategically, the idea was, yeah, I've always known in radio and podcasting, the best way to be successful is do what other people aren't doing. Be your own thing. And at the time, the Amazon smart speakers were introducing this flash briefing feature where you can get daily news updates. Yeah. And I was like, heck, you can put podcasts on there. And as long as they're less than 10 minutes, people will listen. And, and I was like, look, Amazon's pushing it. Let's try and get on board. So we, we built an audience. And actually, Curiosity, the website, started getting more traffic because people were discovering the website through searching and finding our show on the flash briefing, which is another mark of a good podcast when it's not just about the podcast success, but the whole brand. For sure. So we did that for a while. And then the daily show just took off. After a couple of years, Curiosity had lots of changes since it was a startup. And at some point, Discovery came in and said, hey, we're acquiring you, which they did. And so they, they really, not all the assets from Curiosity stuck around just because the website, they ended up retiring the website because uh, yeah. it was, didn't make sense to maintain at the time. But the podcast per, prevailed and we continued to work. We've always had a lot of writers doing, you know, writing and researching and editing the stories. But my role is really like, take what's on paper intended for being read in text form and bring it to life and make it good to hear out loud because there's a big difference between yeah. reading something like that, like in reading an actual script. So mm -hmm. I always did a lot of tailoring of the scripts and very fine editing to make it just like really palatable for the ear. And then also formatting in such a way that you can process it. Cause like the thing with some science stuff, especially if you're talking about like quantum entanglements or something, yeah, right. These are complicated concepts. A lot of biology stuff throws out the names of cells. You're talking about something like, oh, the CRPT3 gene. I just made that up. Right. Uh, that or whatever. And it, you're, you're building a vocabulary while you talk. In an article, you might reference those things once or twice. But for the spoken word, you need to really kind of repeat yourself, mm -hmm. which works for me because I repeat myself all the time. I'm very emphatic and I'm constantly repeating the same thing I just said. But on the show, it worked really well because... Originally, we would intro, here's the three stories we'll do, then we'll do the three stories, and that was the whole show. Yeah. And at, at a point, I just said, I was like, you know what? I think we need a recap segment. Mm -hmm. and, and Ashley's like, we literally preview everything we're going to do and then do the stories. Like, we tell everybody twice, we don't need a recap segment. And I'm just like, no, we need a recap segment because we need to, like, tie it together. Like, yes, yeah. you have the one sentence in the, like, I'll give you an example. So it'd be something like, you learn how cats track their owners using mental maps. Okay, that's the intro. I kind of have an idea what that means. Then the actual story is we talk about the study involved and how uh, different speakers were placed on opposite sides of the room and 
played the owner's voice and the cat would respond differently. And it suggested the cats kind of have mental maps that they follow when they want to know where people are. And that's getting really in the weeds. And so you just listen to three minutes of us getting in the weeds. And I think that as good as it is to have a, a nice zoomed out establishing shot at the start of the show, once you zoom in, you still want to like back out and do another kind of like, you know, go home shot, right? Like, I, I don't know how many movies end with an extreme close up of a person, right? Maybe some, but there's other ones where it's like you, you've got the, the cowboy riding off into the sunset. That's a zoom out. And so mm -hmm. I needed that cowboy riding off in the sunset because you that sticks with you, right? That's the go home. You look yeah. at it. You're like, oh, I get it. There's a sunset. There's the cowboy. He's victorious. It, it tells, it says a lot. And so in the audio medium, I'm like, we need an audio version of that. And so we started doing the recap segment and uh, yeah, it just, it evolved and worked really well. And we got a lot of really positive feedback. Yeah. Cause it's almost like a, a cognitive smoothie of sorts. You're trying to take in some meaningful information in a relatively short period of time. It becomes part of your daily diet. You know, it's good for you, but the, the format is such that it's almost like you're helping codify it in our brains. And some of the topics that you covered that I enjoy, as I was mentioning, is the cognitive science and the elements of your neurochemistry and our brains that help us learn better. You know, that's open fair for the types of content you talk about on Curiosity. And then you were demonstrating those practices just as best you could as part of the show. I definitely want to hear more about what's coming next, but, but it, anything bubble up, anything thematic, you know, any trend lines you, you started to, to see having done so many, so many shows of this type over a pretty intense period of time. Yeah. A lot of psychology stories that really help you understand that people are just not wired to be rational, like whatsoever. We have so many filters and cognitive biases and just everything else working in our brain. My other takeaway, and th this is a different takeaway, honestly, than uh, certain of my colleagues, but like my belief, and this is not science, but my belief is that pretty much anything is possible. And there's so much mystery to the world that I don't think we're even close to touching the tip of the iceberg and understanding really any of it. And that mostly comes from quantum mechanics and quantum physics. We interviewed this researcher, George Greenstein, who taught at Amherst College for many years. And he basically has been teaching quantum mechanics for 20 or 30 years. And he wrote a book after retiring. And the book is literally about how he doesn't understand quantum mechanics. Yeah. He's like, it, it just doesn't make sense. It's called Quantum Strangeness, if you want to check it out. It's a short book. It's only like 100 some pages. It's very short. Mm. Um, but great read. And it's like that conversation, he's just like, we just don't know. And there's a couple other mysteries of the universe. Like dark matter makes up most of the matter in the universe. And we've never seen it. And we have never detected it and we have no idea, you know, how, how to observe it. We don't really understand how gravity works. There's all these different things, you know, we've, we found out that human beings and most of reality is really more mostly space, right? Like the space between the neutrons and protons and atoms, like this, this, we're mostly empty space, right? Right. So there's all these extremely bizarre things. And I, I look at that and my takeaway is like, wow, some people might poo-poo some more uh, like extreme out there ideas. But I say, no, embrace those because who knows what's next and who knows what we'll explore and discover. Yeah. Um, and it, it, at the very tail end of my time at Curiosity Daily, I started to become really interested and curious about psychedelics. Mm. There's a book by Michael Pollan yes. uh, called How to Change Your Mind. Mm -hmm. Have you read it? Yeah, I loved it. I listened oh. to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
unbelievable book. Mm -hmm. And that's only one source. I've, I, you know, I watched the Netflix documentary on the magic, fantastic fungi, right? And, and I've read some scientific studies. I've watched several TED talks about it. And I've gotten really curious about it. And it, it, psychedelic therapy research is a really great example of the limitations of the current scientific method. Mm -hmm. And the main reason is that the current scientific method says, you've got to have all these constants and we need to test only one variable. Right. But the problem is reality doesn't work like that, especially with psychedelics, because psychedelics are contextual in medicine. You pop a ibuprofen or something, it right. does some things to some cells in your brain. Okay, that's what it does. Psychedelics, the entire experience of it and all of your emotions behind it are very heavily uh, influenced by the therapist, right. your set and setting, as they call it, the context and all these different things. You can't isolate it. You really can't. If anything, the psychedelic itself would be the only constant and then the variables would be everything around it. But that, that to me is one point of illustration. And there's a lot of stuff in terms of consciousness research. Mm -hmm. I'm friends with a couple of physicists uh, who have been talking about an enormous leaps in understanding of consciousness from the mm -hmm. physics perspective, mm -hmm. not medical science, but like physics. Yeah. And it's super interesting. Yeah, I think it opened my mind to the idea that like, science is cool and teaches us a lot and it's gotten us pretty far as a species. You know, we're talking on Zoom right now into these cool microphones and we're just hanging out at home and like whatever, cell phones, all that, clean energy, renewable, just so much, modern medicine, vaccines. But there's a long way to go. And for people who are interested in like the mysteries of the world or yeah. who like the unexplained or even the, what we consider the paranormal right now, I think there's room for you. Mm -hmm. And I think there's room for you to learn and explore these mysteries. And it, it's cool. I like that the possibilities are kind of endless and that we have an idea of how a lot of this stuff works. Yeah. But we're not quite there. And that, that to me, I love that. Oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And yeah, that, that's what kind of has continued to attract me and, and what I've generally learned over the last few years. You know, I know this, this has my wheels turning. I'm ready to produce a podcast where we take some quantum physicists to a psychedelic lodge. It feels like the, the quantum strangeness may go away depending on how altered you are, which is, <laughs> so that's a whole other conversation. But then I also saw you've been plugged into emerging technology. It's trend spotting show. A lot of people are talking about Web3 in different capacities, which includes the blockchain and AI and the metaverse, AR, VR. I, I know you're also tracking gaming and other new and emerging trends on that front. I'd love to hear a little more about what's new and emerging on the technology side that's capturing your imagination. So Ashley and I co-moderated some virtual panels at the Consume Electronics Show this year. Mm -hmm. We've been in person twice, but you know, COVID. Right. This year, the, the, you know, we work with like a materials science company that works on lots of things from manufacturing display technology, like OLEDs and QLEDs and all that stuff yeah. to, to, every, to lots of other stuff. A couple of the, the topics they touched on that you think CES, you think new TVs, maybe some weird new concept cars that nobody will ever see. Are you a car guy? Are you into cars? Yeah, a little bit. Not really. I see to me, it's just like I walk through CES and I get to the car part and I'm like, get me out of here as fast as I can. I barely know the color of my car. <laughs> just, so I'm sorry, car people. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I apologize. I'm, I'm going to have nothing to offer in way of cars. But yeah, the less discussed stuff. So there's a thing called smart antennas. 
And they're being rolled out in rural and poor areas that are really improving internet accessibility around the world. Mm. And that's a huge thing. There's billions of people with no or not reliable internet access. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And these smart antennas utilize strange technologies. They utilize liquid crystals, which are used in liquid crystal displays like LEDs and LCD TVs. Um, and I don't know the exact chemistry behind it, but like they're utilizing them and they're able to receive information from further away and from satellites, yeah. obviously. And it's, so that's cool. That's cool to know that. I, I think antenna, I think car antenna, this is a 40 year old tech, yes. I mean, a way older, old technology. Rap, right? Rapid, rapid ears. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, who needs an antenna? That's a hundred. It's from the radio days, early radio days, but no smart antenna. So that, that's cool. The. Metaverse and digital optics were also a big thing. And that what they what a couple startups, several startups are working on is lighter, more seamless VR technology, right? Like we, we're not going to carry a, a five pound headset on our right, heads right. to make this VR thing happen. Mm -hmm. And what was really encouraging is that there is a lot of care and attention being put toward accessibility. Mm -hmm. What if you're a low vision person, right? Or you have limited vision. Can you put this on? Can you even engage? And the answer was always yes. These are technologies that pretty much anybody can use regardless of either a visual impairment or even some like mental health issues, things like that. That was pretty cool. And my, my other takeaway from talking about the metaverse is my wife and I are very grounded. We love literature. Uh, mm. We try not to spend a lot of time on our phones. She didn't even have a smartphone until I met her, which is part of the reason I love her. <laughs> it's like, great. All right. You won't be staring at your phone all day. This is great. And at first glance, I'm saying this because to give you some context, because for us at first glance, you hear the metaverse. Oh, we're all going to live in this like digital virtual reality. Like to us, that's horrifying to hear. Yeah. Right? I want to live in the real world. I want to look at the trees. I want to smell the grass. I want to see the lake. Like that's where we want to live. But now that I've worked from home for the last couple of years, mm. spent a lot of time in front of a screen. Mm -hmm. What I think people don't necessarily realize is that I don't think that the metaverse is intended, or at least I'm not going to use it this way, is intended as a replacement for reality or as the place where you spend most of your time. What I do think it could provide a great deal of value in is in the work environment because so much of our lives by necessity are mediated by screens. Yes. And if I'm, what's better sitting in a chair in front of a computer screen, looking at a flat surface all day or being more emerged in some sort of virtual environment where I'm able to interact with people and we're able to talk more in real time. And it, it feels like more of a place and memory plays into this. There's curiosity daily. We talked about memory a lot, right? Sure. You can probably remember where you were at every concert you've ever been to, like where you were sitting exactly where the stage was like, that's memory. I think about high school and I spent a lot of time on AOL Instant Messenger and I have spent other time on websites over the years, but those memories never enter my mind. Like, can I picture the AIM chat window? Yeah, sure. But like, I can't picture any of the conversations or how I felt like I'm not attaching any memories or emotions or or like temporal reality, solid physical reality to that, right? And so some kind of virtual reality metaverse could serve that role in a work environment or in certain other situations where you're otherwise just stuck 
looking at a screen anyway. Mm -hmm. And so in this way, I think it is actually an upgrade versus, again, my kid's not going to be running around, you know, shooting lasers in a virtual environment instead of playing with his friends. That's not the intention. And I think some people might get mixed up because their knee jerk is, no, I don't want to live in a virtual world. Well, me neither, but I'd rather work in a virtual world than work staring at a computer screen all day in some situations. Yeah. Yeah. The wife got me the Oculus Quest for my birthday last year, and it's been mostly sitting around, but I just discovered the walkabout mini golf game and playing miniature golf in the metaverse actually winds up working in a lot of ways. There's very Zed music and you're taken to a different place. And I was a bit of a skeptic, but I always continued to try these things. And it actually started to change my mind. And then you're saying the same point you're making too, just around how it can liven up social interactions, just the experience of being in something different, I think can make it more memorable. And I'm a big believer in the method of loci, moonwalking with, uh, with Einstein, this great book by, by Josh Doerr that we, we talked about on this podcast. But yeah, it definitely, it seems like something new is emerging. These technologies are all interrelated. There's also NFTs and the blockchain. You had a really interesting conversation about quantum computing which is in some ways related to this new set of capabilities that are all emerging at around the same time. Can you catch us a little more, do a little science communication around uh, quantum computing and how some of this stuff connects? Yes. Quantum computing, and I'm not going to, boy, I'm not going to be able to do a great job of explaining quantum computing itself. It is exponentially more powerful than traditional computing, and it works on quantum computers, which utilize qubits instead of bits. Basically, you know, a bit is a zero or a one. A qubit essentially can be a zero or a one at the same time. This is a gross oversimplification. If you're listening and you're a computer science person, you're probably screaming at your podcast app right now. But essentially, they, they just have different types of bits that are able to do different things, and it allows you to just do a lot more. Right now, there's many problems with making quantum computers a reality often around cooling. The very powerful machines require a, a lot of cooling, but those quantum computers are starting to evolve a little bit and they have the potential to decrease the environmental impact of computing greatly. If you've got one computer that can com perform the, the same amount of operations as like 10,000 computers, then look, that one computer may take a whole lot more energy to cool, but it's not gonna take that much more energy to cool. So that's a really great thing. In fact, quantum computers have a, a huge potential to decrease the environmental impact of, of computing in general. Mm -hmm. And I've been independently researching NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Yeah. Because if you get on Twitter, half of people are in Twitter spaces talking about NFTs. If you go on Clubhouse, everyone is talking about NFTs. Yeah. And the other half of people on Twitter are tweeting about how much they hate NFTs. Yeah, And they're finding people tweeting about NFTs and tweeting at them that they need to die in a fire. I am yeah. one of them. Yeah, I sent one tweet, kind of just off, just a, a, kind of a silly thought I had. I was like, what if I issued an NFT? What would happen? And I, I just threw out like a tweet. And boy, a bunch of people unfollowed me. Mm -hmm. uh, some people said I would block and unfollow you. Some people yeah. said I will unsubscribe from your podcast. I was like, wow. Hmm. people, and some of the people that replied, I've never, I don't know how they found me. They're just sitting around the internet looking for people to yell at. Going back to the quantum computing and the environmental stuff, 
I think a lot of people read an article, like one article, one headline in, I don't know, March or April or May that was basically like, NFTs are bad for the environment. Yeah. And that's just where people stopped paying attention. Mm -hmm. like, like they just got this like soundbite. Oh, they're bad. Oh, and other people are making money. Oh, and oh, they're dumb. And, and that's just very dismissive. I'm a curious person. It's probably the number one thing I learned from Curiosity Daily is really that curiosity just makes you a better human being mm -hmm. uh, in every way. Like you will just be a better person if you approach the world with curiosity instead of just with judgment or dismissiveness. Mm -hmm. um, and this goes for everything. Oh man, I, like I've heard very off the wall theories about even like COVID stuff. It, it's like, let me approach these strange ideas with curiosity instead of just dismissing because I don't, you know, I don't want to entrench myself in just my own beliefs. That's, that's all a person does when they're not curious. Right. And I'll look into them. And a lot of times these weird off the wall things are totally false, but at least I looked into it mm -hmm. and I understand where the idea is coming from and how to talk to it versus just like offhandedly dismissing, not knowing anything about what the person's actually saying. Mm -hmm. So I approached NFTs with curiosity. I learned a lot more about them. There are many NFTs. So first of all, NFTs are a technology. Gary Vee, the YouTuber, makes a really good analogy. He says, just because Yahoo didn't become the world's biggest company in the 90s, doesn't mean that search engines went away right. or that we had no use for search engines. There's mm -hmm. dumb NFT applications. There's NFT art, I think is bad. I think there's NFT blockchains that are poorly constructed. There are NFTs that use an outsized uh, amount of environmental resources, but that is one very small piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. There are all these new applications and, and, and layers on the blockchain that allow transactions, sometimes like to the degree of like 9,000 times more efficiently than the ones that people complain about. And there are some interesting applications. Mm -hmm. I, I think they will be, they're going to stick around forever. I think that there are some cases where they are a really great thing. They are objectively good for artists, which people mm -hmm. don't understand. An artist can bake into their artwork and their proof of ownership. They can bake in that they basically receive income from any resales of their artwork in the future, which would just change the art market forever, basically. Same with music and stuff. Yeah. And people are always like, I can copy music and copy artwork. Yeah, but you can have an NFT serve as proof of ownership of a physical object. Mm -hmm. So all, literally all you have to do is put ownership on there and you've got exactly what I'm just talking about. So th there's some cool, exciting potential in NFTs. The environmental impact I think is, is overblown right now. And not only are all, just a zillion people working on making them more efficient and environmentally uh, sustainable, but also there are other technologies being developed like quantum computing that would also reduce their environmental impact. So at the end of the day, I don't think it's something to sneeze at. I'd rather be the person that learns about them first mm. than the person who just decided they weren't going to learn how to use computers 20 years ago. Yeah. And uh, now they need help with everything, logging into any program or loading any website. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the person that knows how to navigate NFTs and understands them. And I, I think, yeah, that the curiosity is the best way to, to approach that. Yeah, that makes sense. You want to stay out ahead of what's emerging so that you can play with some advanced warning. That's what we try to do here on this podcast. Can you share with us a little bit around where you're heading next? And then some thoughts maybe for our listeners around lessons learned and, and, and advice, perhaps, as we all look towards the future in these crazy times. 
Yeah, I am no longer with Discovery. I'm headed over to a really, really cool B2B podcast production company. I'm going to be their new director of podcasting. Mm. So I'll be working on a lot of business to business branded podcasts, which is going to be interesting because I'm going to have like my my brand will change. Many people on Twitter that follow me are like PhDs and graduate students and professors who found Curiosity Daily and they love that science part. And they, they might like call me a science communicator, an educator, but that's not what I am. I'm, I'm a communicator. I take complex concepts and I break them down in a way that people can understand them. And it just happens that I was science, yeah. but also like I understand the entertainment and, you know, how to make something entertaining and compelling. So I'm going to move over there and be doing more like high level strategy and working on lots of different shows. And I'm super excited about that. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens, like on Twitter and stuff. Are people going to recognize me? But right, but I, right, right. I don't like, I really, I never, ever during my time at Curiosity Daily, I hated calling it a science podcast. Mm-hmm. I wanted to call it an educational podcast. You learn something. But both of those terms have stigmas, like mm-hmm. science and educational. Like mm-hmm. sometimes people look at those like, well, I don't want to learn stuff. I just want to be entertained. You'll actually be really entertained if you're learning stuff, believe it or not. But yeah, that's where I'm headed next. And I'm also going to be launching because I do want to continue to be creative and and produce and host stuff. But I'll be uh, launching a video interview series on Giveo. Uh, You can go to Giveo.com. That's G-I-V-E-O. It's going to be a new video hosting platform like a YouTube, Mm -hmm. but ad free user supported. Essentially, it's going to be super exciting. I'm I'm really excited. So I'm going to be producing videos and and putting those on Giveo, which should launch in the next month or so. You should sign up at Giveo.com. But there, I'll be talking to whoever I want. And that's another sea change for me. Because before it was like, cool, you're a scientist. What did you work on with your research? And now it's going to be like, oh, you're a person that just did something weird. I want to hear your story. (laughs) I like, Mike, what you do here, because you also have that kind of luxury of like talking to so many different people. It's not like you're just talking to, you know, just teachers and professors who I love talking to. But like, yeah, you can talk to people like me who are just like very random people about like, you know, the random experiences. And that's really cool to me and then freeing. Yeah, I'll be up to a lot. But like my advice, to, who do you want advice for? Educators, creators, communicators, anybody? Anybody, all those things and more. I want it all, Cody. Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, all right. I mean, the top thing I already went over is, is just be curious. Mm-hmm. Just ask questions. And when you think something is stupid, stop yourself, check in and say, is this stupid? Let's find out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll do some Googling and you'll realize, wow, that really is stupid. But other times you'll search for something and, and think to yourself, wow, this is a lot more interesting than I thought it might be. And, I, that, you know, that's just a thing. It's just a thing you should always have. And in terms of communicating, educating, things like that, remember the message was... There's a term like the message is the medium or the medium is the message. Medium is the message, Marshall McLuhan. Yeah, I, I, I borrow that liberally. There you go. Yeah, so that there is such a huge, massive difference in audio versus video versus written communication. We all know this cerebrally, but like if you are into podcasting and audio, listen to a lot of podcasts and listen to as much good radio as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, good, like WGN is great, great talk radio, just mm-hmm. fun, chill uh, slice of life talk radio, like very apolitical, at least when I was there, just mostly, hey, I went to a concert, someone stood up in front of me the whole time. 
Is that okay? Call in. That's good content right there. Yeah. And, uh, and pay attention. Cause you know, I think a lot of people think that they can just sit down and talk and that's a good podcast. But even if you're good at talking, it doesn't mean you're necessarily good at podcasting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, that's a hard lesson to learn. I honestly, I'll be honest with you, Mike, Curiosity Daily was mostly scripted uh, with many ad lib moments, but a lot of all the science stuff was scripted. So it, it's really nice and fun and refreshing to be able to talk to you and just go off and not have a script. But if I had to put myself up against uh, a Brian Noonan at WGN Radio or uh, another like really great radio host, like a Studs Terkel, go listen to Studs oh, Terkel, my, my goodness. Yeah. Or, or even some really, really successful podcasters that are good conversationalists. I don't categorize myself with them at all. I think I did fine. I think I did all right. I think I'm a okay talker. And I can sometimes be engaging, I guess, but I, I don't even consider myself, I'm like B tier in my mind and I know how to do it. It's just some people kind of have this extra something and uh, that's, that's a hard craft to hone. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, there's no real point to this. It's just that a podcasting can be underrated. And if you find a podcast you like and you find a host you like and you think they do a good job, you should consider that more valuable, I think, than some people in our society do. I think, mm. because like I said, I think some people just take this art and they're like, yeah, just put a mic in front of me. I'm good. But there's, man, there's, we've, I've audited in the past. I've done competitive audits of other shows in, in our space for various brands. And like most brands I work with are shocked by how many bad podcasts there are out there. And top pod, like, like top 200 iTunes, like poorly produced, like bad audio quality, just like bad conversation flow, like just some of the top ones too. So yeah, those good podcasts, man, they're not a dime a dozen. They're tougher to find than you might think. Yeah. And it, and it takes a lot of practice, practice. You talk to me about practice and it takes a lot of experimentation. I'm really excited to see what comes next from you, Cody. So folks should Check out producer Cody on Twitter. Keep an eye out for Giveo and more to come. And then Curiosity Daily. If you haven't listened to it yet, there's more than a thousand episodes in your back catalog to start catching up on. It's really informative. It'll make you entertaining to a certain type of people at a cocktail party. But I really get a lot out of it. The work I've seen from you and, and Ashley and the conversations of making difficult topics more accessible and entertaining and engaging. I've gotten a lot of inspiration from the stuff you've been putting out there, Cody. Thanks very much for joining us on today's episode. Thank you, Mike. And thanks for doing what you do. I love seeing the guests. I, you're all over my LinkedIn feed and I feel like there's always someone new and fascinating every single time I log on. I'm like, how many episodes does this guy put out? Man, yeah. it's great. Our daily thing was like 10 minutes, but you, these are like full episodes you're doing. So, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, good on you. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. Hopefully our listeners enjoy. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, write us a review. We'll do what we can to keep on bringing the good information with friends like Cody on the show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.